0: Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Great job, guys. Thank you. So great to, to see so many faces that I recognize and so many friends and faces that I don't recognize. Uh, if you haven't filled out one of these connection cards yet, they should be inside your bulletin or maybe you'll find them in the, in the chairs. If you don't see them back there, there should also be some pens and pencil stre- uh, around everywhere. Uh, so yeah, there's some exciting things to fill out here. We have prayer requests. We have a first-time guests. Again, if you have not filled out a connection card with us before, your name, your information, uh, and you'd like to do that, I will send you a handwritten note and a gift card. So that'd be cool. So that's some incentive there. Uh, yeah, we are uh, continuing our series on Driven and uh, asking the question, right, who is in the driver's seat of your life. Of course, uh, like, like we've said in the weeks past, the weeks prior, this goes back to Galatians chapter 5, keeping in step with the Spirit, right? Where is the Spirit of God leading us? And so the, the first question that we're going to look at today is, is this. Uh, I, I know we're getting right into it. I usually have four or five jokes to, to preemptive, but uh, how do you forgive someone who has wronged you time and time again? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, The honest answer is, you can't. You can't. Without Jesus, we cannot truly forgive anyone for anything. It sits inside of us. It dwells within us. So here's what happens. Uh, Let me know if this sounds or feels familiar for you. Uh, Someone that we care about... Because people that we don't care about, when they say stuff, it just, you know, who cares? We don't care about them. We forget it. But someone that we care about says something or does something, and then we find out about it. You ever been there where, where you find out that somebody else did this really fun thing and you didn't get invited? And not only that, but another friend that was there is like, oh, guess what this person said about you while we were there? They said they didn't want you here because you're a loser. And you go, well, that's kind of true. But uh, it also hurts. Because we care about this person, we care about the way that they think about us and they say something or do something that hurts our feelings. We thought that there was mutual love and respect, but it turns out that we care a lot more about them than they cared about us. So what we normally do uh, without Jesus, again, is that we say or we do something to hurt them. Not because we care about them or don't care about them, but just because we want them to hurt like we are hurting. So we do this friendship to friendship, relationship to relationship. And for some reason, we have all these failed friendships that we don't understand why people don't like us. And more often than not, we find out that the person that we genuinely care about, that we thought said something or did something, that they didn't even say or do that thing. And the way that we responded was not retaliation, but us really starting strife and starting conflict. So we must change the way we think about how we respond because what we think is what we believe and what we, will, uh, and what we believe is what we will do. Again, I kind of botched that, but what we think is what we will believe and what we believe is what we will do. If we justify our actions and reactions in any situation, we will inevitably retaliate or even cause pain to others based on the pain that we are feeling. So, it doesn't really matter whether or not the person has done something in need of forgiveness. We have already decided in our hearts that we are going to hurt that person, not by the merit of what they've done, but by the fact that we ourselves are hurting. Which is why Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, This is verses 17 and 21. Uh, I would love for you to have uh, your own Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, please uh, contact us. There's a lot of Bibles in the seats in front of you, too. Uh, There's a lot of great uh, translations of the Bible, and so if you're wondering which one I use, I use ESV, the English Standard Version, Uh, not because I think it's superior to all the rest, but uh, as a person who studies the Greek, I want something that's close to the original language, but also readable. Uh, so there you go. Uh, we don't have those Bibles in, in the books in front of you. We're working on that. If you didn't know, buying Bibles is expensive. So it's on the to-do list of things in the future. So this is what it says. If you don't have a Bible, or if you want to read along with us, I put it up on the screen. So repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So this choice really takes out all of the guesswork And who is wrong? Or even if anyone wronged you in the first place. When the Holy Spirit is in the driver's seat of our relationships, we choose to forgive others quickly and never retaliate. When the Holy Spirit is in the driver's seat of our relationships, we choose to forgive others quickly and never retaliate, retaliate. If you think someone has hurt your feelings, or even you know they have done something evil toward you, the Holy Spirit will guide you to honor them and do good unto them, regardless of what they have done to you. We must choose to believe in every relationship that, it is not, uh, that we cannot control the other person. We must take responsibility for ourselves. You can and should control yourself. Or rather, you should allow the Holy Spirit to control you. The fruit of the Spirit, meaning what grows in your life when the Holy Spirit is deeply rooted in your soul and in your mind is love, joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These nine attributes are the gauge in your life to whether the Holy Spirit is in the driver's seat or whether you are. No one is perfect, but if you had all of these nine characteristics that the fruit of the Spirit came through you, you would be pretty darn near close to perfect. Notice that controlling others isn't on the list. (laughs) Controlling yourself is. John 15, 8, Jesus says this, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Uh, We prove to be the disciples of Christ, not by doing mighty works in his name, not by being perfect, but by allowing the Holy Spirit's fruit to grow from us. So uh, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, remember that I said we have two goals. We have two goals in life, which is to be more like Jesus and to bring more people to Jesus. That's it. The two goals in life are to be more like Jesus and to bring more people to Jesus. Everything else is uh, muddied waters. And when we feel lost is when we lose track of what is really important to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Forgiving others is essential to you yourself being forgiven. I'm going to say that again because this might be a controversial statement, but it's biblical. Forgiving other people is essential to you yourself being forgiven. So Jesus teaches us how to pray in Matthew chapter 6, because really, I mean, the disciples didn't know how to do much of anything, and so they said, hey, can you, you know, teach us how to pray? And he tells us to ask for forgiveness as we also forgive others. So this is from Matthew chapter 6, And he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But, this is the warning, if you do not forgive others their trespasses, Neither will the Father forgive your trespasses. So this is, this is a warning. If you don't forgive others, the Father will not forgive you. We cannot be both full of love and bitterness. We cannot be both loving and unforgiving. We cannot be Christ-like until we learn to forgive others. So in the church setting, Paul says this. This is 2 Corinthians 2, verses 5 through 11. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, uh, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment might be, uh, might by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn, turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him, for this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his, uh, yeah, we are not ignorant of his designs. Okay, when someone causes us pain, this is what this passage says, we seek to comfort them and forgive them. How backwards is that? When someone says something or does something that causes us pain, we seek to comfort them and forgive them in order to not be outwitted by Satan. Because this is what Satan does. He encourages people to hurt others and then encourages the one who have been hurt to seek out their own vengeance. And an eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind. I read a great book when I was in Bible college. It's called Hurt People, Hurt People. When you have been hurt, it's what you know, it's what's embedded in you, and and the way that you respond is with hurt in kind. So to follow Jesus' example, we must always forgive. Here's the crazy part. Even when we are in the act of being physically hurt, emotionally or spiritually abused, we must always forgive. Jesus told Peter, not just seven times, but seventy times seven times, so if someone hurts you four hundred ninety times uh, emotionally i 'll say that uh, you don 't have to forgive them anymore right that 's the number four hundred and ninety once someone has wronged you, and uh, you know for, for, for married people, uh, you know as a husband, I feel like i 'm already past that, so my wife is done forgiving me because. I've already hurt her 490 times. Uh, it was not intentional, but uh, it was an accident. But still, uh, 490, that's it. Is that, is that what Jesus is telling Peter? Because, and the way, the why, why, why Peter brought that up, he goes, you know, how many times do I have to forgive someone? Is it seven times? And then Jesus says, no, it's 70 times. Seven is because what was being taught back then uh, in, in the time, the, the, the teachers, the rabbis were teaching them that you only had to forgive people seven times. How long would any of our relationships last if we only had to forgive someone seven times? right? We, we, I'm unfriending you, I'm unfriending you, I'm unfriending you seven times. That's too many. <laughs> and, I, and I know that if... Yeah, that's right. It's Facebook. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I know I bring this up a, a lot if, if you spend uh, time with me, but every time I talk about this, this next passage that we're going to look at, it, it really, it, it shakes me to my core. So it comes from Luke chapter 23, verses 33 and 34. And I wanted wanted us to really contemplate putting ourselves uh, in Jesus' shoes here. He wasn't wearing shoes uh, at this time, Uh, but really to try to put ourselves into this situation. Jesus is, is wrongly convicted of a heinous crime, so they choose to put him to death. They beat him with... Uh, Thirty-nine times with the cat of nine tails. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They lead him up the hill. This is what it says. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals. I like how they differentiate. One on his right, one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And then they cast lots to divide his, his garments. So they came to Golgotha, which means like the skull, where they crucified him. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. As Jesus was being crucified, he asked the Father to forgive the people who were in the act of crucifying him. This was not a made-up scenario in his head where it was a he said, she said, maybe this is something that was misinterpreted. No, these are people that are in the act of crucifying him, and he begs the Father to forgive them. Jesus would never ask us to do something that he is unwilling to do. So when he asks us to forgive others who have hurt us, he knows how difficult it is. He was wrongly convicted, wrongly crucified. He was perfect in every way. And he knew he was going to die for the whole world. But I, I cannot imagine being there, being I mean, he's literally being crucified. I, I, would, I would pray for death. <laughs> I would pray uh, that the people that did this to me, that they would get what's coming to them. I, I would pray for, for justice. I would pray for pretty much anything except for the Father to forgive those people. But I I want to be, like, be like Jesus. And, and I do, I, I feel like I need to say this Uh, Forgiving someone does not mean that we have to allow them to hurt us time and time again. If you are being abused by anyone physically, you should not be in that relationship, especially if you're dating and someone's beating you physically, don't be in that relationship. If a friend physically or emotionally abuses you, you don't have to be their friend. Forgiveness isn't acceptance that you'll just be abused by your whole life. It is simply not allowing the hurt that others do to you to change who you are. Again, forgiveness is not accepting that you will be abused. It is simply not allowing the hurt that others do to you to change who you are. Forgiveness is holding no bitterness or discontentment towards others regardless of what they have said or done to you. You don't have to work a job that you're being mistreated at, except for if you're Michelle, my assistant, you have to. <laughs> Everyone else, though, you don't, you don't have to. No, in all serious, please uh, make sure that you and, and your family are safe, and if you ever need anything to, to be safe, please let uh, the elders or someone in this church know if you don't, if you aren't safe, if there are things that are going on, we want to help you uh, get there. We have resources uh, in order to, to keep you uh, safe and get you safe, and I want to say this very clearly, that Jesus only allowed himself to be crucified once. where he immediately, he forgave those who crucified him, but he did not give them an opportunity to kill him again. And I assure you that they would have given the opportunity. They would have crucified Jesus again. So if you are in an abusive marriage, uh, you don't have to divorce the person to move out. God does not require you to stay in an abusive marriage. And I feel like unfortunately that needs to be said because too many times pastors have, have come up and have told people that You have to stay in abusive relationships because that's what the Bible says. And I want to be very clear that that is not what the Bible says. Amen? Okay. Uh, This leads me to the next question, though, uh, which (laughs) someone emailed me, uh, which is, why does God hate divorced people? Yeah, I was like, "This this is an interesting question. Uh, Yeah, and again, let me expressly state that God doesn't hate divorced people; He hates divorce. But it comes from Malachi uh, two sixteen, right? Uh, It says, "For I hate divorce," says the Lord, the God of Israel, "and him who covers his garment with wrong," says the Lord of hosts. So take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Uh, Does anyone know why God hates divorce? It's not a rhetorical question. Yeah, it's not his plan. Um, God issues a decree of divorce to his, his wife, his people, and he knows how much pain it causes. Now, some people would say, uh, this is from Jeremiah 3.8, uh, this is, uh, yeah, so she saw for all the adul- adulteries of, uh, of that faithless one, Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce, yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she too went and played the whore. I know people use whore a lot in church, and so I'm glad uh, to continue that tradition of doing so. Now, some people would say, "Well, God didn't actually divorce Israel because uh, technically we're the new Israel, and we're, uh, you know, by this—it's uh, not analogy, whatever uh, metaphor. I don't know. I can't tell the difference. Simile. I, I mean, I took. Grammar like what was that fifty years ago? Uh, so by this, uh, Jesus, he, he was uh, God is is married to Israel, right? Because he made a covenant with them that he would protect Israel, uh, but all they had to do was just follow his, his law and not uh, disgrace the temple and, and those types of things. And so he's saying, uh, Israel, you went out and you did all the things I told you not to do and it's been like this since the beginning uh, but God said hey you have you have done all of these things and so I'm issuing you a decree of divorce now in the following passages if you keep reading in Jeremiah 3 it says uh, it talks all about how God longs to get Israel back you can come back you can repent you can be my wife again we can have a healthy relationship and this is what God is telling Israel even though she has, in God's word, played the whore. Now, did Israel return to him? Yeah, no, kind of, not really. But like I said, we are the new Israel, right? Uh, We are the branch that has been grafted on. So all of the times in the New Testament when Jesus is talking about marriage, he's the bridegroom, all of these things. We, we are the new Israel, so kind of kind of Israel came back. Uh, but uh, the reality is, is that the reason that God hates divorce is because he knows personally how painful it is. He knows how painful it is. He knows how painful it is to make a covenant with someone who chooses not to follow that covenant. God loves Israel, and he wanted what was best for them, and he did everything in his power to give them uh, the promised land and a place where they could worship freely, they could worship him, they could study his law, they could do all of the things that he uh, commanded them to do, and they chose not to. They chose to do all of the things that he told them not to do. Even the very place of worship, the holiest of places, they brought prostitutes in and, had, and slept with them there. They, did, they broke all of the rules that God told them not to break. And then they complained, God, we didn't know this is what would happen. And they were so blind, the people people of Israel, so much so that when the bridegroom came in the person of Jesus Christ, many of the Israelites missed it. And even 2,000 years later now, many of the Israelites have no idea who Jesus is. So when is it? quote-unquote, like okay to get uh, divorced. And biblically, you have the right to divorce your spouse when uh, they have been sexually unfaithful, meaning the person had marital relationships with someone who isn't you. Uh, This comes out of Matthew chapter 19. Uh, So do you have to get divorced if your spouse has been unfaithful? No. Again, this is what God showed us with his covenant, his relationship with Israel. Israel continued to be unfaithful time and time again, and he always was willing to take them back. Please come back. If you will be faithful, I will take you back. And if you haven't read uh, the book of Hosea, God tells this prophet to marry a prostitute. It's true. Read it. Look it up. This is not just some 35-year-old just spouting nonsense. This is biblical truth, Uh, God tells Hosea, he says, marry this prostitute, uh, and you will love her, and she will leave you time and time again, and this is what happens. Things start get going well in their relationship, and then she leaves, and then Hosea, he tries everything to get her back, and and that's that's the whole book of Hosea, and it's this, this imagery of God's relationship with Israel, how God was so faithful to them, and they kept running away, When you make a covenant with someone to be married until death, God desires that you would honor that covenant. And the best case scenario is that every marriage would be healthy, that both the husband and wife would submit to one another, uh, with the husband giving his whole love to his wife and the wife giving her whole respect to her husband, where they forgive each other and they live at peace. But... There are people who don't care about following Jesus, being like Jesus, and thus will choose to leave you in their bitterness, addictions, or abuse. Uh, so, if your spouse chooses to leave you, you should not—you uh, should—you should seek an honest assessment of yourself. Right? What was my part to play in that? But you should never carry any guilt regarding their decision. If you are committed and trying your best, stop carrying around the guilt that they or anyone else. Chooses to place upon you, and if you wondered why I bring that up, is because that uh, that's my life, that's my story. You can't make someone stay if they don't want to stay. I I was married before Catherine, and uh, I carried so much shame. I was twenty five years old, trying to become a pastor of a church and one of the first questions that they asked was, you know, single, married, or divorced. And I felt like every time I had to mark that, that box on a job application for a church, it's like, should I even turn this application in? Would anyone listen to me if I told them what happened? Would anyone choose to see past this spot from my past. I had to be told time and time again by people that loved me that if your spouse truly loved you and wanted to follow Jesus, they would have done whatever it took to be able to forgive you, to love you, and to trust you no matter what. But it took a lot of time. It took counseling. It took me going to a counselor, a therapist. And for a time, it took me being on antidepressants and anti anxiety medication. I was terrified that people would find out. I was terrified that people would know that I was this terrible person, that I was a terrible husband. And I had to overcome that guilt and shame by focusing on Christ and my relationship with him. I also want to say this. If in the past you have chosen to leave for reasons other than infidelity and you have carried that guilt, I would encourage you to forgive yourself. As your Father in heaven has already forgiven you, your shame is not yours to bear. It was paid for on the cross by Jesus Christ, who encourages you to join him in living in forgiveness. You can't change the past. You can only change the future. So if you weren't the person you wanted to be yesterday, thank God that today and tomorrow you have the opportunity to change yourself for the better. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ in in your life. Your yesterdays are gone, but your tomorrows, who are you going to be? And when we live this way, we live in forgiveness, our marriages preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the schemes of the devil are easy to see from, from the outside, but hard to notice when you're in the midst of them. Because Satan is the father of lies. The Lies, we're told, are his native tongue. All he does all day long is lie to you. And without the help of the Holy Spirit... Uh, Satan will ruin every marriage. I'm going to say that again. Without the help of the Holy Spirit, Satan will ruin every marriage, every relationship, anything that is good because he hates you and he hates God. So hold fast to what is true. Remember your covenants and do everything in your power to let the lies uh, of the devil be thwarted. Uh, And you do that by letting your yes be yes and your no be no God will not hate you if you get divorced, but if you did not do everything you could to make your marriage work, you will likely hate yourself. And it will be hard to overcome that. I don't want you to uh, carry that shame, but I need you to hear that. Again, if, if you get divorced, God does not hate you. God does not hate you. He, has, he loves you and He's forgiven you but I don't want you to carry that shame. And so if you're in the midst of it where your marriage just isn't working right now, get, get help, get help. If you're in a relationship where you're just, you're just not communicating well, you, you, get, get help. Don't make any excuses, find people that will help you out. Uh, there are some people here in this room that have 60, 70 years of wisdom to offer you in relationships. And they don't always do it, like, you know, in a counseling setting. Uh, Sometimes it's just sitting with, you know, Karen McCormick and listening to her stories. Listening to the way that she loved her husband. I'm going to, you know, my, I hope my aunt, my great aunt will see this. Uh, My great uncle Bill had type 2 diabetes and he eventually lost his legs and eventually lost his life uh, because of this. But she chose to live, uh, they had this this great big house outside of town, and and of course, he he couldn't work anymore after he lost his legs and and really lost a lot of function, and so they had to put him into a retirement community so that he could be um, watched, uh, just to make sure that he was okay, and she chose to live in this uh, tiny house right down the street from from him, and every Friday, she would, and if you meet my great aunt, uh, she came here uh, a couple months ago. she would, she would walk to the, the facility, and she would roll my great-uncle Bill down to the lake in his wheelchair so that he could fish. She hates fishing. And when you ask her, I mean, she did this for 10, 15 years. You ask her, hey, why? Why? Why why did you do that? Well, her answer was, well, he took care of me for all those years and so now it's my turn to take care of him. She's one of the most amazing people I've ever met in my life. The selflessness, the kindness. She always chose to forgive. She always chooses to love. She taught me so much about what a godly marriage looks like just by telling me stories. I'm going to call the the worship team back up here. So to ask the question, how do we allow the Holy Spirit to drive in our relationships with others? It is simply this, if you're taking notes. uh, We forgive each other forever and always. We believe the best in each other and we do whatever it takes to honor one another no matter what, in every relationship. We change what we think to change what we believe to change what we do because it's all about Jesus. The goal of every relationship is to show the love, forgiveness, and patience of Christ. And my prayer is that we will be on this journey together of learning what that looks like because there are some deep-seated things within all of us that we don't even know that we have carried for so long. And then they come up, and we, and we don't know what to do with them. So please, find someone that you trust, that you can talk to about this. It doesn't have to be a counselor. It can just be a friend that you love. Find someone to talk to. Not to complain to, but to talk to and ask for help. We all have something in us that we, we realize that is a blind spot in our lives, and my prayer is again that we would not uh, feel guilt or shame, but we, we would press on to be more like Christ in order to bring more people to Christ. All right, let's pray together. So, Father, we come to you as as people knowing that we want we want to be the perfect bride to you. We want to be faithful. We want to be honest. We want to be true. We want to be loving. So, God, help us to be wholly invested in our relationship with you. God, help us to sing your praises, to speak to you often, and to read your letters, uh, your letter to us. God, we just love you. We thank you that you saw us in our brokenness and our shame, and that even when we were your enemies, while we were still sinners, you died for us. And when you prayed and you asked the Father to forgive them, you were also praying for our forgiveness. So God, I ask that today we would help us to forgive not just others, but to forgive ourselves for our past. God, help us to not carry any bitterness, but to plant love in our hearts. God, in all these things, we pray these things in your Son Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. 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 Amen.